Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1. Sing, O barren, she hath not borne. Break forth with singing, and cry loud, she hath not brought forth. For more are the sons of the desolate than the sons of the married one, said Jehovah. You know how God takes everything evil and turns it for good if you follow him and if you're his child? Even if you're a wife who's never been able to have a child, the Lord will give you many children. That's what it says. What I believe is it's all the people in your life who you will impact with the gospel. When we share the gospel with others, then we have spiritual children, in a sense, because we're helping to grow the kingdom. And when we go to heaven, we'll meet those people, and that is like having many children. But in one way or another, you will have an impact on other people's lives. It could also be through benevolence. You could be supporting people all around the world through a ministry of integrity, your money can be used to literally raise children into the kingdom of God. But this also says even more than that. It says that Jerusalem itself will have children, meaning that after the Babylonians are taken out of Jerusalem by Persia, then more and more people will enter Jerusalem and it will grow. So Jerusalem will not be barren of Israelites anymore nor friendly foreigners who want to worship the Lord and practice the Lord's commandments. Jerusalem will no longer be desolate like it was under the Babylonians. Under King Cyrus of the Persians, Jerusalem will blossom. Now this also says more than that. Prophecy in the Bible is in layers. There's the practical application to our personal lives. There's the spiritual application. There's also the historical past event that happened, which is when Persia liberated Babylon. But there's also the future prophecy when Christ returns the third time and sets up his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. This verse is also talking about that. And this whole chapter is going to be talking about the millennial reign of Christ in parallel with talking about Persia liberating Jerusalem when Christ comes, the entire world will be drawn to Jerusalem in one way or another. They'll pay tribute to the king in Jerusalem, who is Jesus. 2. Enlarge the place of thy tent, and the curtains of thy tabernacles they stretch out. Restrain not, lengthen thy cords, and thy pins make strong. You know how a tent has cords, and then you tighten the cords by putting pins into the ground? You fasten the cords to the pin, and that holds your tent upright? It's a metaphor of the old tabernacle that they used to have before they had the temple. But it's using the old tabernacle as a metaphor of the whole city of Jerusalem, and it's saying you need a bigger tent because more people are going to come live there. This he also says to the barren woman, stretch out your tent. That doesn't mean go out and buy a bigger house for eight kids necessarily, but it means prepare to share the gospel with more people. 3. For right and left thou breakest forth, and thy seed doth nations possess. To break forth is to conquer, and this is saying that Jerusalem is going to become stronger. 4. And desolate cities they cause to be inhabited, Fear not, for thou art not ashamed, 
nor blush, for thou art not confounded, for the shame of thy youth thou forgettest, and the reproach of thy widowhood thou dost not remember any more. Don't remember the shame of your past sin, and that's if you've repented. If you haven't repented, then you should be ashamed. But if you have fully given up that old lifestyle, and you no longer do those things, then don't have false shame. Don't still carry the ugliness of that sin, because Jesus died on the cross and he carried it for you. Don't try to rewrite history and be Jesus on the cross. He was the one who went to the cross. And we need to move forward, and our old life is gone, so we don't have to think, I can't preach the gospel because I used to be a prostitute. In the spirit, if you have fully repented and been forgiven, it's as if you never were a prostitute. It's as if you've always been a pure, chaste person in the spirit. That's how the Lord sees you once he has forgiven and cleansed you. But this verse is talking about the shame of barrenness when you can't have children. But he says, I'm going to give you children. And remember, you may not physically have children, but spread the gospel and you will have plenty of spiritual children. Take care of other people. Clothe the naked, feed the hungry, and you will have plenty of children. And he also mentions her widowhood. Widowhood is when you don't have a husband. And he says, I had to separate from you. You had to live like a widow because you were sinning against me. But he says, now I'm going to be your husband again. 5. For thy maker is thy husband. Jehovah of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. God of all the earth, he is called. There's no other God who is called the God of all the earth or the Lord of angel armies. He is our husband spiritually. This is all metaphor, and it's talking about relationships. It's not talking about sex. Just as a wife submits to a husband, and a husband saves his wife by protecting her from all harm, that represents the spiritual relationship between God and his children. He protects them from the disaster of hellfire, and his children in turn obey him. 6. For as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, called thee, hath Jehovah, even a youthful wife, when she is refused, said thy God. Some wives get tossed out like the trash. And this verse is mentioning any woman who is tossed out wrongfully. So this is metaphor, and you would feel a lot of grief if you were rejected by your husband. But he says, you will no longer be rejected. In the millennial reign of Christ, that's absolutely true. Jerusalem will no longer be rejected. Jesus will be there as the husband of the people, protecting them. 7. In a moment I have forsaken thee, and in great mercies I do gather thee. To the Lord, when he turns his back on us because of our wickedness, from his perspective it's only for a moment, and then he turns back as soon as we repent. And he comes back to us in great mercy and kindness. 8. In overflowing wrath, I hid my face for a moment from thee. And in kindness, age during, I have loved thee, said thy Redeemer, Jehovah. He says, I only turned my face away from you briefly because of your sin. But now I will look at you forever and never part from you again. 
And of course, this can only be true in the millennial reign of Christ, because after the millennial reign comes judgment day and then eternity. You might ask yourself, why is there a millennial reign of Christ? Peter said in the New Testament, to God one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Remember, he created the world in six days, and he rested on the seventh, and then began the work of the redemption of mankind. We have been on this planet for approximately 6,000 years. We're not quite at year 6,000, but we're really super close. According to just basic calculations, it would be within three years we'll be at the 6,000-year mark. And that's how we know that Jesus is coming extremely soon. So for 6,000 years, which to God is six days, he has been creating his bride. All of these generations have been getting born, and people in each generation have been saved. When his bride is complete, meaning all the people who will turn to him have turned to him, we will be at year 6,000, and that will be the end of the sixth day. And then we will experience another thousand years of the millennial reign of Christ. And that will be day seven. And then after that, we'll begin the eternal existence of Jesus and his bride together in heaven. So that's why there's a thousand year millennial reign. It is a Sabbath rest. Nine, for the waters of Noah is this to me. In that I have sworn, the waters of Noah do not pass again over the earth. So I have sworn, wrath is not upon thee, nor rebuke against thee. He says there will never again be a flood in the earth. Now the earth is going to be consumed in fire after the millennial reign. The entire earth will go up in flames and he will create a new heaven and a new earth. But the earth will never be flooded again because he made a promise to Noah that he never would flood the earth again. 10. For the mountains depart, and the hills remove, and my kindness from thee departeth not, and the covenant of my peace removeth not, said hath thy loving one, Jehovah. He says the mountains will go flat, the hills will go flat, the valleys will be brought up as well. When Jesus descends down on Jerusalem, the Bible explains in a couple of places that only Zion itself will be a mountain, but all around Jerusalem will be totally flat. The valleys and the hills will be gone. And that's probably so that people can see Jesus easier. The throne of God is a flat sea of glass. It's sapphire glass, which we'll read about later in Ezekiel and Revelation. 11. O afflicted, storm-tossed, not comforted, lo, I am lain with cement thy stones, and have founded thee with sapphires. He says that he is going to dress Jerusalem in beautiful sapphires, which I'm sure is true when Jesus returns. Blue means holiness, and sapphires are blue. And that's why I believe the Lord uses sapphires a lot in the Bible, and to decorate his own throne. 12. And I have made of agate thy pinnacles, and thy gates of carbuncle stones, and all thy border of stones of delight. When Cyrus allowed the Israelites to rebuild the temple, I'm sure they did add some precious stones in there and make it really pretty. But I believe this is also talking about 
the millennial reign of Christ, where it will be incredibly mind-blowing, beautiful. 13. And all thy sons are taught of Jehovah, and abundant is the peace of thy sons. Sometimes people think that they're getting taught about the Lord today, but they're actually just getting taught religion. In Jerusalem today, people are learning man's tradition. They aren't really learning the commandments of the Lord, because if they see a Christian walking down the streets, they'll spit in that Christian's face sometimes. So they're not learning the commandments of the Lord. They're learning religion. But when Jesus is in Jerusalem, people will learn about the Lord, and they'll develop his character by learning his commandments. And abundant is the peace of thy sons. Peace means that the Lord isn't condemning you for your sin. That means that you're forgiven, and that means that you have repented. When you practice his commands, you're not sinning anymore. 14. In righteousness thou establishest thyself. Be far from oppression, for thou fearest not, and from ruin, for it cometh not near thee. In the righteousness of Jesus Christ we are established. We cannot be righteous on our own because all of us have sinned. In order to be righteous, you have to be sin-free. But only Jesus is sin-free. However, his life inside of us is the righteousness that we can experience. 15. Lo, he doth diligently assemble without my desire. Who hath assembled near thee? By thee he falleth. To assemble without the Lord's desire, that means to assemble armies. It's saying that whoever tries to attack Jerusalem, that army will be attacked. The Lord will enable Jerusalem to attack back and win. 16. Lo, I, I have prepared an artisan, blowing on a fire of coals, and bringing out an instrument for his work, and I have prepared a destroyer to destroy. He will allow Jerusalem to prepare weapons, and whoever wants to destroy Jerusalem, that army will be destroyed. 17. No weapon formed against thee prospereth, and every tongue rising against thee in judgment thou condemnest. This is the inheritance of the servants of Jehovah, and their righteousness from me, and affirmation of Jehovah. The servants of the Lord, meaning those who obey him, cannot be condemned by other people. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But the end of the verse says that this promise applies to the servants of Jehovah. If you're living a lifestyle of sin, you are not a servant of Jehovah. That verse does not apply to you. But there's a lot of Christians who love to tell everybody, Oh, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Well, not if you're living in sin. If you're living with a girlfriend or boyfriend, and you go gambling on the weekends, and you watch dirty movies, and you tell dirty jokes, this does not apply to you. It applies to the saints only. In our society, it's so sad that half of every Bible verse is missing from all of those t-shirts and coffee mugs. And that's the half that people really need to know and understand. All of the promises in the Bible are for the saints and the saints alone. They're not for the general population. And Christians should stop attributing all the promises to anyone who shows up in church. Because the promises aren't for just anybody. And that concludes Isaiah chapter 54.